So uh, I'm going to pray. And then uh, speaking of Christmas time, we're going to have our little drummer boy today do Advent. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get Doug up here. Dear, dear God, I just thank you so much for this day. Just thank you for this time of year, just the amazing uh, of what it means. God, it's just it's so cool just to, just to continue and get this feeling, this anticipation, this waiting for the day. Uh, of what it's all about for Christmas Day, what it's all about, God. Um, and it's all about you. And that's, re- that's really cool, God. Um, I just thank you. I just give this time to you, Father. Pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Today we light the first candle of the Advent wreath. This candle is the candle of hope. Along with all Christians around the world, we use this light to help us remember that Jesus was, is, and will always be our hope. Just like how lights can light up a dark room, so Jesus is our hope when no other hope can be found. Isaiah 9.2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Lord, thank you for being our hope. As Christmas quickly approaches, I pray that we always remember our great hope that came down from heaven. I pray that we take every opportunity to be lights in the lives of those around us as we look forward to Jesus' return one day. Amen. We uh, we are. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Isn't this fun? Okay, I'm gonna. I have a few advantages of pastoring. I'm gonna take advantage of one of those advantages right now. Merry Christmas. I get to say first, Merry Christmas. Uh, Thanksgiving's over, and uh, I love as soon as Thanksgiving over how just. Christmas explodes on the scene. People driving with trucks and and, uh, trees and the whole thing. So much fun. So uh, I just want to acknowledge and thank the Austins who did all of this. Yeah, as as they always do. And uh, what a a great ministry and and so well. They do it so well all the time, you know, and and, uh, all year round, by the way. Everything that happens on stage for decor and everything the Austins do. And so we're so appreciative and grateful. And today when you go out and you get your stocking um, donation thing to go fill up and bring back, they actually made the little green stockings that are back there now uh, and did that as well. So uh, when you see the Austins, give them a hug or something, right? It'd be great. All right. How was Thanksgiving? How many did you have? Let's, let's have a little contest here. How many people did you have at Thanksgiving, right? Anybody? I know Brent had 12 at his house. Anybody beat 12? 
14. How many did you have? 15. We had 16. Doug, you had 30 people. Did you have to cook? Oh, praise the Lord, for he's good always, <laughs> right? Good. Well, I hope, uh, I hope you had a great time. Uh, more importantly, I hope you were nice to your family, that one uncle, that one cousin, whatever it is. Um, I was super blessed this year to have uh, so much of our family around and had a great time. And uh, we're thankful as Christians. Amen? We're thankful for so many things. It's a good reset right as we go into the Christmas season to remember um, why we're here, why we're still here, and uh, who's in charge of it all. We're going to talk about that this morning in a minute or two. Uh, I just want to take a moment and announce uh, that my mother-in-law, Carol, on Tuesday, uh, around family and friends and comfortable, uh, went to be with the Lord. Now, I have some ideas about that. You know, I think she wanted to have her first Thanksgiving with Jesus, first Christmas with Jesus, and the whole thing. Um, but the family uh, appreciates all the support, and uh, I have a couple text messages and things like that. And um, so uh, we'll miss her greatly, and we're going to have a service January 7th. We'll get some more information about that um, at once we put it together. All right. But, uh, but once again, thanks, and she will be missed. And just for the record, none of the stereotypes of mother in laws fit her for me. So we would often joke, like, why all these jokes about mother-in-laws? I don't get it. It doesn't, doesn't happen to us. You know, so, um, but be praying for Wayne. And uh, they were going to hit 60 years of marriage this next year. And uh, she was 88. And on Tuesday at 88, you know who else passed? Colonel Sanders. Same day. And Carol loved... Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> We're still trying to figure out what that means. And I have to be careful because I like to joke, and it was serious. Julie was very concerned about how I would present that. <laughs> so, uh, so there you go. Um, and then there was uh, one more thing I, um, I want to talk about. We're we're actually going to talk about it at the end, so we've got an announcement for some direction where we're going as a church, and we'll get to that um, at the end. So uh, especially those of you online, you've got to stick around past the last song this time because we're going uh, to talk about some direction for the church and uh, really ask you guys a question in some sense. All right? Um, did we cover it? I think we did. All right. We are continuing our series in Romans chapter 3. I hope all of you were uh, here or online and caught Brent last year or last week finishing out chapter 12. Um, so I appreciate that. Thank you, Brent. Um, and we're, we're continuing uh, Paul's book. He wrote probably kind of almost in the middle of his 13 books chronologically. Uh, he wrote to the church at Rome. And, and um, today we're going to talk about fulfilling love. And uh, we're going to have to tease that out over time, but we're going we're gonna to hit that um, in the 14 verses that we're going to look at today. Let's pray, and then, uh, then we'll jump into our passage. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for what we 
saying that you're perfect in every way. And I thank you for the reminders this week as we do things like Thanksgiving and be around family uh, for us t- uh, to lose a family member. Uh, remind us, Lord, what we're to be grateful for. And we thank you for your word and its comfort for friends and family in this season, Lord, that teaches us how we're meant to love our neighbor. And you said that was the greatest thing, and then you've proved it in so many ways. And then you had Paul teach about it. And I pray as we look at this passage this morning that we would understand it in a new way, and it would inspire us uh, to be more like you in, in the places that you've put us with the relationships that we have, Lord. May we see the fun and opportunity, the responsibility of where you've put us. So we ask you to guide this time, Lord, uh, help us with this passage. May your spirit uh, bless it, and may it be honoring and glorifying to you. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen? Amen. This is Romans chapter 3. Get on your phone or look at your Bible, or it'll be right up here on the screen. Here we go. Let every person... Be subject to the governing authorities. Oh, okay, I'm out. That's it, I'm done. We're pro-government here? Is that, what, is that what that says? Somebody say yes. Well, how do we do that? Because um, last I checked, I try to ignore as much as possible, but I think there's a little bit of politics going on in our country over the last few years, right? How do we be pro-government how do we be subject to the governing authorities when there's so much strife and conflict um i crack up when people tell me that the bible is not really relevant today i think to myself that might be one of the most important things for us to hear these days between the two parties and then the extra third parties that are, are dangling around wanting to get in the action um feels like to me tension's never been higher How do we be subject to the governing body, especially when the other party, right? What I love is over the last 20 years, control has gone back and forth quite a few times. So if you go back any amount of years, at some point, they, they were in charge. The scary, evil ones, right? Um, So it doesn't matter which party you are. How do you be subject to the government when maybe they're doing things differently than you would do them and why would why would paul even write that down right i we've said always we don't do politics at church amen we do god at church we do worship and here paul's dragging us into politics is he or is politics different than government um i look at this and i think to myself "Ooh, where's this going for there is no authority except from for there is no authority except from all you people at home watching in your pajamas with your co- I'm jealous of you. I wish I could be with you in your living room right now. But you have to say it out loud too. Here we go. For there is no authority except from That's hard for me. That God has placed people in positions, especially the ones I disagree with. I'm learning that many of them are put in those positions so I can learn about when I'm wrong. And they were actually right. More importantly, Paul's making 
this point. There is no authority outside of God. Even when it comes to government, it, it makes me question a lot. You know, we say, oh, I'm going to keep religion out of politics and we keep politics out of religion. Like we're going to separate these things. Well, if God's the authority of all, how do you separate things that must be somehow connected? I think a great question for Christians, how do we do public? How do we speak out? How do we represent ourselves and represent really God? in how we vote, what we talk about, um, how we treat the other side, right? Because the other side, there's another name for the other side. Do you know what it is? Don't say wrong. They're not, no. Uh, It's called neighbors. I don't know if that that phrase is familiar to you. Neighbor, neighbors, right? It's going to come back and bite us here in a little bit. Um, There's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. That's a big fancy word to try and drive home a point. He's got a plan. Even when you look at government and you say, I don't like what I see or I'd like to see something different. God has roles going on. Does he always have an agenda? Somebody say yes. Right? He doesn't do ambiguous. He, he never does unimportant. He has never had the phrase pointless in his vocabulary. There's always a point. There's a goal. There's an agenda. There's a mission. There's a relationship. There's things to care about, protect, serve. And we can do that in the face of opposition. I like this last part, you know, having been instituted by God, because now I'm starting to feel like it makes a little more sense as to what I think and feel. Oh, government, it's just an institution. Been institutionalized. Yes. By God. (laughs) Apparently he's into institutions. And how do you know that? (laughs) Right? Because you're sitting in one. Right now, you're sitting in an institution. Even if you're watching online, you're watching a feed of an institution you've decided to get involved in. Why does God do that? Um, because He likes inefficiency and frustration, high emotions, tension, and conflict. Okay, I'll say yes to that. Because when you say we're arguing, I say we're finally talking why does god do institution why does he do governing why does he do any of this stuff for relationships it's forced family fun time folks you're you have to have neighbors now you have to talk to them you get to get along you get to cooperate you can make an effort maybe see a new perspective hopefully get a new perspective and finally get off the ones that you're wrong about. Do you know that you're wrong about some things? I find out usually at least a couple times a day things I'm wrong about, right? Some of you are nice when you point it out to me. Doug, thank you. Therefore, so if God's institutionalizing us and he's the authority, then whoever resists the authorities 
resist what God has, what's that next word? Appointed. We have several words now that are defining that God is controlling this stuff, orchestrating. He is puppeteering a little bit, right? And those who resist will be just fine, will incur judgment. You know, Scott, we, it, we just had Thanksgiving. We're headed into Christmas. I came to church, or I flicked on my feed, and you're talking about government and giants. I mean, we're doing politics and hellfire and brimstone. What happened to Rock Bible Church? What happened? We read the Bible, right? Christ-centered, biblically-based. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror. <laughs> I... If I was cruel, I would make you repeat that line, right? For rulers are not a terror. This is what we think. We think regularly that the rulers on the opposite side are a terror. And then some of the ones on our side, we think they're a terror too. And we're so backwards as humans, we start to think things like that are in place to keep us safe and maintain rule and order we start to think, well, maybe they're bad too. Maybe they're a terror. In fact, we should defund them because they're a problem. We rage against authority all the time. It happened with the 15 other people at Thanksgiving. I'm the father and the pastor. I just ask you to, can you just peel those for me? Why do I have, you know, just pushing back on authority, right? I used to think that it was only my family that's oppositionally defiant. It's a human condition. We hate to be told what to do. Which is funny, because we're in a total institution appointed by God where He tells us what to do. We, at some point, better get used to this idea. Get, better get comfortable. Where are you going to take your instructions from? Because here's the other thing I've realized. As much as I want to be the master of my own destiny and control of my own fate, the reality is, almost all of us, we take instructions regularly. It's so funny. People will make a suggestion and, and just like, oh, well, I need to go do that. He said, sit over here. Okay, here I go. I'm going to sit right there. If we're going to take instructions, we've got to ask, where do we take those instructions from and what qualifies them to give us instructions? Well, they gave me instructions I like that will make me some money and I'll feel comfortable. And they come with fuzzy socks. I'll do that. Sorry, I'm stuck on the slide for the um, stockings. One of the things you can put in the Christmas stockings, it said fuzzy socks. It's one of the only things that you can buy for adults and for kids. Fuzzy socks. If you get a, a stocking and you bring it back and it doesn't have fuzzy socks, come into your house. Um, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? That's a sarcastic or Socratic question, right? A leading question. That you should fear authority. Why? Then do what is good. Seldom do we get in trouble for doing what's good. We get in trouble for things that we think are good, that we want. And you'll receive his approval. 
for he is God's servant. Man, they went from being authorities to they just got promoted. Did you see what Paul did there? He was calling them authorities. Now they're servants of the Lord. Doulos, Greek word there, right? God's servant for your good. They're actually there because something is going to come good out of it for you. As much as we think that's counterintuitive, God places those things and controls some things beyond our understanding for our own good, right? But if you do wrong, be afraid. I thought this God was the fear not God, right? Don't the angels come and say, fear not for, right? How come all of a sudden he's telling us to be afraid? Fear not is a statement God makes to us when, when he's telling us, look, God's in control. You're going to be okay. I'm sending you a messenger. I'm sending you a Messiah. I'm sending you salvation. I'm going to give grace to you. I'm going to teach you how to do the same. Be merciful and be a servant. Don't be afraid. You'll be fine. In the end, God wins. Amen? And why say you be afraid then? Because in the meantime, if you jack it up, He'll jack you up. Quote me on that. He, he will do whatever it takes to get your attention. If it means using one of the Lord's servants that He for some reason has put them in an authority position over you, we have to ask the question, why? Why, Dad? I used to say to my dad all the time when everything something would happen that I didn't like why how come they get to why and really uh, life started getting better for me when I stopped asking why and said okay if this is what we're doing then how do I do it when can I do it who can I do it with if well I'm gonna have to do it so how about I try to comply right little rhyme for you this morning try to comply um but if you do wrong be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain that my friends is called a promise <laughs> it almost sounds like i'm gonna hurt you you mess with me and you mess with my servants i'm gonna hurt you now can we say it that way at church i mean this is being recorded Why would he do it? Why would he say that? Because he wants to get you off of wrong and bad and get you back to good for your own benefit. And we are stubborn, aren't we? We are stubborn. And it's, it's frustrating. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. I think Marvel should be using this first for the Avengers, right? He's a servant of God, an Avenger who carries out God's what? Wrath? It, it was a promise a second ago. It just turned into wrath. Paul's changing phrases on us. He is definitely leading the witness. On the wrongdoer. Okay. Let's put some things together here. So far, who's Paul been talking about? Us? Good behavior? Wrong versus good, right? And what did he just call us? Wrongdoers. 
That's funny because pretty much every person I meet thinks they're right. Have you met all the same people I've met? They think that traffic should go the way they want it to go. I am absolutely one of those people. I like consistency in certain things. And I'm wrong. Often. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Oh, there's an attractive word. Welcome to Bummer Sunday. I'm a wrongdoer, I, and I need to be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, by the way, that's the second time we've heard that phrase, but also for the sake of conscience. Ooh, what's being said there? Let's have this be the interactive portion of the morning where you come up with an answer longer than Jesus, read your Bible, or pray. Form a small sentence. What just happened? Now we're not just talking about being a wrongdoer and God's wrath, but apparently your conscience is involved. What's going on there? People at home, feel free to talk to the screen. Please tell us we have more answers here than they do at home that we can't hear. What's going on there? It's not just get in trouble with God, but if something's wrong with your conscience, I'm going to feel bad. Whoa. We're going to prove that in a second with another phrase that comes up. For because of this, you also pay taxes. You pay taxes, right? That's um, like a command now. Okay. So no avoiding taxes. Uh, for the authorities are ministers of God. <laughs> we just, we just, it keeps getting worse. Next, they're going to be pastors and then elders, and then they're going to be angels, and right now they're ministers, uh, which is great news for you because you're an authority somewhere, even if it's just of yourself. What'd you just get promoted to? one of his workers you do ministry everywhere you go the question is are you doing it poorly or are you doing it well how are you representing what are you representing ministers of a god attending to this very thing pay to all what is owed to them taxes to whom taxes are owed revenue to whom revenue is owed respect to whom respect is owed Honor to whom honor is owed. Is, do we translate that? Isn't it it's supposed to say respect to those who earned it? How many times have you heard that, that concept? Where so, uh, they need to earn my respect. You know, they haven't earned my respect yet. They haven't earned my forgiveness yet. You know, when they earn it, that, you know, I, their actions speak louder than their words. You know, I know what kind of person. I saw what they, did you see what they posted? You have no idea what they've been up to. You know what just got eliminated from your calculation on whether someone gets respect, honor, taxes, revenue? What just got eliminated? Their whole track record. All of their character. Nothing about them can be used against them when it comes to you choosing to respect, honor, or pay the contract, or finish the contract on time. 
apparently honor, respect, and money do it's owed people. What qualifies them to be owed respect and honor? They've done nothing to, to earn that from me. We just met. I was checking into a thing. I'm going to tell you the story in a little bit. I was checking into a thing where they give you a wristband. I couldn't believe the amount of disrespect I got from this lady, half my age, who I'd never met before. And I just smiled and kind of kept going. I mean, I thought of like 47 things I could say in response to her. Because I'm a wrongdoer. But it bit my tongue and kept going. Respect is owed. What would it be like if we started walking that way? We, we might actually love our neighbors. You know? How do you love your neighbor? Oh, well, Jesus told his story about the Good Samaritan. Oh, great. Well, I don't have a donkey and I can't take anybody to the hospital. How else do I do it? How about we respect them and honor them even when you just met them? Even when they're cleaning, bussing uh, dishes off your table? You know, any little thing. You meet them for the first time. Why don't you lead with respect and honor? That's what Paul says, I think we're supposed to. And watch what he says very next. He says, Oh, no one anything. You think he's talking just about money? Because I'm pretty sure those respect and honor words hit hard right before that phrase. Oh, no one anything. <clears throat> I, I cringe at the people th that I have disrespected and realizing, man, I was wrong. By the way, let's tie it into the beginning of the passage where we talked about the other political party. How I've disrespected that. Ooh, that one gets painful. Right? Oh, no one anything except to love each other. Now we really know we're not talking about just money. This is what do we definitely need to owe people? Love. Relationship. Emotion. For the one who loves another has what? Ah, here we go. We're going to read it and you're going to say it when I get to it. Okay, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's what we're trying to do. For the commandments, verse 9, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Wow. Let's not keep score. Let's do that, huh? We start keeping score on that, I'm losing. Now I want to track my score so I get better. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Our job, our calling, the reason we're still here, still happy, is we're trying to fulfill love. Get out your outline. It says at the top, Romans chapter 13, fulfilling love. That's how we get there. Besides this, you know the time. 
You know the time? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's almost ten o'clock on Sunday. Right, November twenty seventh, twenty twenty two. What's he saying there? If you know the time, it means you're aware. You can read the room. You do pick up on subtleties. You know when you're wrong. You know when you're about to do wrong. Most of the time. Every once in a while. Every like blue moon comes out, you make a mistake. The rest of the time, it's, watch this, it's going to hurt. Intentional. And you know it. You know when things are offsides. And you know when things are beautiful. If you know, you can never be off the hook, right? You're on the hook now. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. It's time to get woke. <laughs> I just said that. Isn't that awesome? It's a different kind of woke though, isn't it? Than the way culture uses it. Wake up and figure out what is God doing, Right? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That is a great phrase. What's that mean? It means the longer that you wade into salvation, the more it makes sense. The closer you are to it, the more you want to pursue it, the more you want to share it the more you see how the big picture fits together and the equation all works and how when God does institute or appoint authorities and call them servants and then promote them to ministers, it kind of starts to make sense. Where you say, oh yeah, I mean, I never would have done it that way, but he might be brilliant. And he's playing a longer game than I am. Maybe there is hope for my kids. Right? Sorry, that one's from my house. Uh, salvation is nearer to us than we first believed. The night is far gone. Watch this one. This is, this is interesting. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of... I thought the night was gone. This is going to say verse 12, second line, middle. The night is far gone. Not just gone, far gone. but cast off the works of darkness. If the night's gone, where's the darkness coming from? Oh, you got me, Mick. It got me right in the heart. It's us. We bring darkness to daylight. And Jesus says, no, we're supposed to be a light on a hill. We're supposed to bring light to where we go. And yet we like to argue and uh, ignore. We like to uh, contrast. It's a fancy way, contrast. right? Well, I just want to give you uh, another perspective on that. Why? What are you trying to do? You're trying to tell them they're... Right? Fonzarelli couldn't say it. I was wrong. Right? There's a reference to happy days for all of you who are under 40. <laughs> the night is far gone, but you got to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. We have to be told to walk properly because the assumption is we're walking improperly. 
as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. Before we switch off of that slide, all of those, what do all of those things, go back please, uh, what do all of those things have in common? Wait a minute. Um, I don't know. What, what do orgies and quarreling have in common with jealousy and drunkenness and sensual? What, what do all? How how could those all be related? They are. <laughs> Ready? Who are they related to? Us. It's interesting. I got three answers just now. You, us, and me. I'll give you one guess which one of those is right, and the first two guesses don't count. Right? Which, by the way, was a phrase Carol Clank used all the time. She thought it was the funniest line. And I adopted it from her. God rest her soul. Amen? Who are all those related to? You? Us? Or me? For me, what's the right answer? Me. Because you got to be careful. Here's how you do light. You stop serving you. You become a minister of God rather than self-serving. And not in quarreling and, or jealousy. I, you know what? Here's um, This is a little bit of a controversial statement I'm going to make right here. I want you to understand it. If you need to talk to me as a pastor, I'm almost at the point where I would much rather deal with people in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, and jealousy. Who are the ones that I can't, I'm, I'm having a hard time with more and more? Quarrelers. I don't even like the word. I was in a quarrel the other day. Oh, I'm so sorry. Right? I mean, it's a Q word of all things, right? Which should be banned. But th this, like, I want to combat you. I want to push on you. Well, I just want to play devil's advocate for a minute. No, shut up. Go home. Don't talk to me. Write an email to someone else that they won't read. This whole, I want to cause uh, strife. Uh, well, you know, that's a really good idea, but let me point out all the reasons it could be bad. Who are you and why did I tell you this? I'm going to go talk to Fernando. He likes me. He's always nice, right? I have to say this. I've never seen Fernando quarrel with anyone. And I have seen him in scenarios where he absolutely should have. Should not have, but I could understand if he had, right? How do we get away from that stuff? We get away from serving self. When I put my priorities ahead of other people, all right? Let's close this out and, uh, and go to lunch. Uh, but, yet, or instead of, or therefore, if we're not going to do those other things, we need a replacement behavior. Here it is. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, apparently he's clothing now. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I mean, Paul just, he just cleaned something up. Uh, all the other things, he made them heavier and heavier. It went from uh, authorities to servants to ministers. Like, we're getting heavier, right? Here, he de-escalates because this is a fancy way of taking you off the hook a little bit because he talks about desires as, as like a third party that are just kind of along the ride with you. But actually, whose desires are they? 
right? He, did, he tried to spare you the guilt and the shame and all that kind of stuff, but the reality is, what is he saying? It's like, look, you can make provision for yourself, your flesh, the things you want, your hungers, your appetites, your bad habits, um, your things that leave dead bodies along the road behind you. Leave a sour taste, and no one wants to come to your house no more. You can do those things. He says, instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? How do we do that? We do that with fulfilling love. Let's, I think this was a hard one for me to kind of summarize and pick just three points. I did it, but the jury's going to be out on, on how well you buy these things. Um, notice that there's a really big word at the end right there. Counterproductive. I was going to have that be the fill-in, but I thought that much writing would be counterproductive. Um, prioritizing self is counterproductive. We think, well, I'm just going to go get my stuff done and then I'll... Well, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to. We, we put ourselves first and we, we do it at church, we do it at work, we do it at our families, we do it when it's past the potatoes time. It's unbelievable. You can see it all the time if you look for it. What's rare is the people who figured out that when I try to put myself first, where do I end up? Right? You end up last. First shall be last. Last shall be first. I'm pretty sure that's a verse. That was sarcastic. I know it's a verse. But there's this, we think, if I try to take care of myself, even in my little conversations, if I can push back on other people so that my stuff gets promoted, people want to stop having conversations with you. You end up last. You end up alone. Oh, you, you want to prioritize yourself? Then you'll be by yourself. This leads to lonely. I would want to consult a counselor on how accurate this is, but my feeling and my thought are that most people, when they go to counseling, it's about figuring out why a relationship is weird. And a lot of times the counselor has to help them see self and what self is doing that's creating tension in the relationship. The tension in the relationship is actually a secondary problem because there's something intrinsic that needs to be worked on. I don't know. We'll have to find a counselor somewhere that could maybe answer that. I don't know where we would find one. Maybe somebody who's good at clear communicating and stuff Amen. like that. Amen, brother. <laughs> yeah. If you were at home and you didn't hear it, we had a doc say amen nice and loud. Um, there's multiple verses, I think, where we see this, this idea of you, you chase something for self, and then at the very end, verse 14, is where it says, look, uh, if you gratify the flesh, you're going you're gonna to get in trouble. Uh, so how do we do it? We do fulfilling love. We deny ourselves. In fact, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It's interesting. The most 
important person who should have been prioritized the most deferred himself. Played the servant. Promoted humility. Touched anybody that needed to be touched. Healed people that were sick. He, he would talk and stop for anybody. And he says, let me give my life for you. We've got to figure out how to deprioritize self. Which means, who are we prioritizing? Jesus, okay, and God, and starts with N, neighbors, right? Those are the two top commandments. I just have to remind you once in a while, because we're church, I, I get, there's a quota. I get paid on the number of times I mention that. Right? Um, number two, prioritizing God is counterintuitive. Prioritizing God is counterintuitive for us as humans. We think we have to promote self. And actually, the best way for self to do well is to pursue God. It's, it's backwards. Like, if I take care of him, he'll take care of me? Are you sure? Wait, can I get that on a contract somewhere? Why, yes, you can. Sealed in blood and death. You have a contract that basically says, Chase God, He'll take care of you, right? The great verse, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And He's undefeated. Right? Prioritizing God is counterintuitive. And you have to figure out how to do it. How do you bite your tongue? When you're walking through and all you need is a wristband in order to get in. And the couple in front of you haven't figured out there's two of them they're adults they haven't figured out how to put wristband on you know they're they're long you you pull off a little corner of it and it's self-adhesive and do if you have another person with you you say doug can you put that on for me and in about two and a half seconds doug's a little faster he's about two seconds boom you're done you put doug's on for him and then you're off this couple couldn't figure it out I'm going to bite my tongue right now. The lady passing them out says, oh, do you mind if I help you with it? We'll get you another one. I thought, oh, nice lady. She gets another one. Boom. Lady puts out her hand. She goes in, does it. Two and a half seconds. It's like, that's great. What was I missing? A second person. It's my turn. Hi, ma'am. Here's my fee thing or whatever i i need a bracelet she says here put that on i said oh do you mind if you help me i'm solo oh i'm sorry with covid restrictions and that speech came out right at which point i went (laughs) and turned back on her and bit my tongue really i just watched you you just did it Oh, by the way, is it transferred by surface contact? I don't think so. But you're working at a place where hundreds of people are going right by you at two feet away. You don't have a mask on. Really? If you just think I'm some creepy old guy and you don't want to touch my arm, that's fine. Just say no thanks. But she gives me this COVID thing, and then she says, yeah, and I wanted to warn you about that. What? I smiled. 
I took my pen. I said, thank you. And I just left. But the, I, the counterintuitive of what was going on in that moment. Man, I thought you were nice. I thought you were helpful. I just watched you do it for somebody else. And then I come through and I don't, you didn't like the beard? What, I, what's going on? We've got to figure out how do we get past the counterintuitive. Bite our tongue, say thank you, and just keep going with God best you can so that you can get in the park. Just get in the park and start doing the things with God that you can. You know what, you know what prioritizing God is counterintuitive? It means praying will feel awkward, frustrating, and it'll be the last thing you want to do sometimes. And yet... Finish the sentence. Prayer is frustrating. You might not want to do it. It might be the last thing you want to do. And yet, it works. Scripture is long and in an older language and never in chronological order and can put you to sleep when you're, sleep, when you're reading. Okay, I'm a pastor. I admit it. There's times when I'm reading Scripture and I fall asleep. And yet... It works. Serving when you're tired is frustrating and counterintuitive, and yet it's good for you. Need we go on? Let's pretend that I gave you seven more examples. There's something counterintuitive about how God works. I would even say this. Showing up at church, sitting in a chair, or turning on the feed every week, and consistently investing in your relationship with the Lord in However you do it. I mean, you listen to worship songs while you drive, but having some kind of consistent pursuit of the Lord is counterintuitive, but it absolutely works. And people are coming to Christ by the millions in India right now. Brent and I just saw it. We've got to figure out a way to, to start doing it. We've, we've got to start figuring out how to fulfill love. Why? Because number three, Proper love is fulfilling. Now, we could have stopped. We could have put a period right there, right? Proper love is fulfilling, period. And the question would be, to who? Because most of us are still looking at love towards other people as a way to fulfill who? Me, self. In fact, it's amazing that we as self-individuals have figured out a way to take something that's meant to be outward focused like love that God has commanded us to and we've figured out a way to make that actually be about us. I'm very good at loving. Look at my status. How many likes I have, my friends, and da da da. And that's not what it's about. What are we fulfilling? There's three ways that you could look at fulfilling love. Fulfill yourself. It's fulfilling to someone else. Like I, I could love Judy in ways that was were fulfilling to her. But here's the other thing. There's fulfilling God. Third one. There might be things that I do that I do lovingly towards Julie, my wife, and they're not so fulfilling for her. It's kind of like, nice try. Right? I, I know that another, it never happens to any of you guys. So what really should I be tracking? 
am I fulfilling God in my attempt at fulfilling others? You will fail at fulfilling others regularly. You'll succeed sometimes. It's a mixed bag, right? But the attempt and the pursuit can always be fulfilling to God because now you're being obedient. Now you're following what he's called you to do. Amen? Some of you he's called to do an Advent reading. Some of you he's called to do a stocking or go to Mexico or uh, fund this or that or go online, whatever. Maybe serve. Some of you, he's, he just wants you to fulfill him by being nice to that one person that you're, I mean, let's be honest, you're always mean to him. Or you just ignore him. Can we skip them on the text thread? Just not invite them. We got to get past all that. We got to figure out how do we fulfill God and how we love. Because now all the little things like that, remember that list of six things you shouldn't do and uh, you know, pursuing your passions and all this stuff about authorities and government and all that. All that is super easy to discern because you know the time when you're trying to fulfill your love the way God has asked you to. Amen? If you haven't started that, let's start. Ready, go. Like if you have never had a relationship with the Lord, ask Him. He's done everything He can to get your attention. He's got the number one seller book of all time. He's got the only story that almost everybody knows more than anybody on the cross, which is about Him dying for you. He's trying to prove that there's a way to live that actually works. He's put everything in place for it to work. All you got to do is say, okay, I'm, I buy it without understanding all of it. Some of it's still a mystery, but I'm going to buy in and I'm going to trust that my pursuit of God will start to become intuitive. And you can start that relationship today, could you? You could. If you're at home, say a prayer. If you're here, say a prayer. God, I start today. And then let us know. We want to help. Amen? We as a church, we want to help? It's why we're here, folks. Otherwise, we just go home. Let's pray. Lord, thanks that we have an opportunity to be in ministry with you. More importantly, be in relationship with you. Uh, save us from ourselves. From the focus of how does it affect me? How do I benefit I pray, Lord, that we would ask that question about you. How do we affect you? How do we benefit you? May we see our neighbors that way. Thank you for this passage. May we continue to think about it as we go from this place and start to implement things. We thank you for this season, this great story that we get to tell. Give us the courage to tell that to somebody new. Maybe, Lord, give us the courage to invite people to church. We pray this, and especially for those who made decisions today, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, uh, have a seat, if you will. This might, they'll take a minute, and uh, hopefully we're still on air and people are, are checking with us. Um, we've got some great opportunities as a church, and we've been thinking, and we know the time, as we quote that verse from earlier. Um, we just came through two years of pandemic, and some church closed. Our tithing went up both years. We set a record in uh, 2021. And so while in-person attendance obviously had to go down, we're alive and well and we're trying to do best we can. And we've been, we started a discussion with staff, um, pastors and elders about what does going forward look like? And at some point we want to start a Sunday night service. Uh, we also want to start doing membership classes, baptism classes, find opportunities for us to join and, and meet together for things like meals or a Sunday school class and things like that. We want to um, free up our resources and how we can do that. And so in an attempt to go that direction, we want to ask you the question about combining services in the morning. If we did both services and merge them into one at like 10 o'clock, we'll do the live feed and the podcast and the in-person all at once. We cut our volunteer time in half for a Sunday morning. We prep ourselves for later starting a Sunday night service when we're ready, but it also gives us the opportunity to do a class before church or a class after church. Or when we do those uh, like taco feed or something, we're not asking first service to come back two hours later you know, after they went home, it's like everybody together. And we're also noticing we have first service people that don't know second service people. Now, I know you all and I love you all. You need to meet. So we want to have that discussion. So here's what we're asking. Uh, find a pastor, an elder, a staff member and say, here's what I think. Okay. Now, remember, quarrelsome and jealous people get in trouble. Right. What do you like about it? What are the challenges? Would you want to be involved? Uh, we say 10 a.m. That's a question. Okay, here's an answer. We're going to decide and announce on Sunday next week. You have six days. Start the clock now. Because here's what we want to do. Christmas lands on Sunday this year. And we will have services. I want it always to be said, Rock Bible Church does not cancel services. Okay, so I will be here on Sunday, when it is Christmas, every six years. Isn't it every seven years? No, there's leap years in there, okay? Um, so we wanna be able to get ready for December 25th with whatever we decide. Thank you. And may you fulfill his love. Amen? Go with him.